0: Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Tax Smart REI podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about a little known strategy called a partial asset disposition. It's very powerful and can save you a lot of money over the course that you own a property, especially if you're a long term investor. So, we're going to dive into that. Right, uh, actually, we're just going to dive right into that right now. So, <laughs> partial asset dispositions, what are they and why should you
1: care? Well, the first thing I'm going to say is that we talk about this in our boot camp in detail. So, Check that out. But partial asset disposition. So imagine this you buy a property, you buy a rental property, let's call it $100,000. And two years later, you realize you have to replace the roof. So the roof costs $8,000 to replace. You replace it, everything's good. The question is when you report on your tax returns, do you have $100,000 rental property plus an $8,000 roof? Because that's what most people record right? $100,000 rental plus an $8,000 roof improvement that you all depreciate over 27 and a half or 39 years. But here's the problem. When I buy that $100,000 rental property, the roof that comes with the property has value, right? Right. You agree with that?
0: Supposedly. Yeah. I mean, I supposedly,
1: guess. yeah. <laughs> right. And we can prove that value with a cost segregation study, right? Right. Right. So if I buy this building for $100,000, let's just say that I also bought the old roof that comes with the building for $5,000, right? So the building was 95 and the roof was five, total 100. Now, if I put a new roof on the building for $8,000 and during, when I get my taxes prepared, my accountant puts $100,000 building plus an $8,000 roof,
0: Right.
1: then what I really have now is I have, this $95,000 building, the $5,000 original roof, and now an $8,000 new roof. So I have $13,000 of roof that I'm depreciating over 27 and a half or 39 years. Effectively, I'm depreciating two roofs, but I only have one roof. Right. That's why partial asset dispositions exist. They allow you to write off the cost of the asset that you have replaced or partially replaced, right? So they allow you to write off the cost of that $5,000 old roof when you put the new $8,000 roof on. So if you are claiming partial asset dispositions, which would be maximum optimization for taxes, when you claim the partial asset disposition, you would say, I have a $95,000 building and an $8,000 new roof. So my total building cost is $103,000, not $108,000. And through doing this, I get to write off the cost of the old roof. So I take that $5,000 less whatever depreciation I've claimed, I take that deduction today.
0: Yeah, it's an expense. It basically ends up on your p and as a much larger expense than it would be if you would continually depreciate that over a 27 and a half year lifespan, for example.
1: Right. And so why don't most accountants do this? Well, I guess we could talk about why we haven't really focused on it that much in the past. And it's really just because it's the cost to get it done
0: <laughs> you know it's, it's in the weeds and you know usually to the biggest issue with this is always trying to identify the cost of the asset being removed right yeah. how can you determine the cost of that roof right a lot of people they'll just have their tax return and they'll buy that hundred thousand dollar property you mentioned they'll break out the land value and they'll start depreciating the entire building over 27 and a half years and they you know that building includes all the components and you never got the valuation. So one way to do that, right? One way to get the value of all those assets, all those components within the building is with a cost segregation study. I like mm-hmm. get the cost segregation study performed, it breaks out the value of all of those assets into, you know, breaks them all down. And then you could report those assets on your depreciation schedule. So you might have the roof, you might have the HVAC systems, you might have the electrical systems, the plumbing systems, all these assets that are eligible for partial asset disposition, you can actually get broken out through a cost segregation study, which is one way to do it. Uh, there are other ways, but a uh, cost segregation study can be expensive, especially if you're just doing it just for the partial asset dis- disposition.
1: Right. And and so, you know, going, going back to my, my question of like, why don't most accountants do this? um we do this with our larger clients larger tax returns but it's it's just the cost of going in and trying to figure out what is the cost of the of the asset that's being disposed because you have to be able to substantiate it if you were to be audited the irs is just going to generally their first step is just disallow all these types of disposition losses so you have to be able to substantiate it and that just takes a lot of time and work but it is something that we're trying to systematize going forward um but another reason that that accountants don't do it is just don't know it exists. And, and the clients don't know it exists. So that's why you're listening to this podcast is at least ask the question, hey, should we be taking a partial asset disposition or should I pay you to calculate what this partial asset disposition might actually look like for me? Is it worth it? Now, sometimes it might not be worth it for you, right? Let's talk about when it might not be worth it or why it might not be worth it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it might not be worth it depending on you know the size of your property and the size of the actual deduction, right? If you have a, a single family residence, the, the value of your roof, for example, uh, may not be worth going through all the efforts and the fees that you're going to incur trying to deduct it, right? Again, you're going to need to have either your accountant or a cost segregation study um, determine the value, right, of the roof in the first place. So there's a cost associated with that. Then there's the actual cost associated with actually making the partial asset disposition like, you know, that goes into the tax prep and all of that type of stuff. So might not be worth it on a smaller assets to go through all of that. And, and you, you have to make sure that the, that the expense justifies the fees, right? If it doesn't, then there's no need to doing it. You're not going to go buy something for $30 just to save $25 somewhere else. Right. That makes no sense. So at the end of the day, the juice has to be worth the squeeze.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So There are two ways to substantiate the cost of the asset that you are writing off through a partial asset disposition. Tom just mentioned a cost segregation study. That's a very good way to do it. So if you're getting cost segregation studies performed, you might not even realize that it will enable you to use partial asset dispositions later on down the line. The second thing that you can do is to use the producer price index to essentially calculate the historical value of your asset that you're disposing of based on today prices. Uh, so you would look at today's prices, you would go find your asset on, in the PPI index, and then you would backdate it to effectively figure out what is that original value. Now, you can only do this when the replacement asset is considered a restoration, right? So if we go back to our tangible property regulations, Uh, We have betterment adaptations and restorations, so you cannot use the PPI index or the producer price index for betterments or adaptations. You can only use it for restorations. And we're not going to go into what that means, but we've done stuff on that in the past. So go find that content. But you can only use the PPI for restorations, but it's an effective way to do it as well if you don't have a cost segregation study. At your disposal, or if or if you don't want to run a cost segregation study, or if that's out of your price range, you can use the producer price index. The caveat that I'm going to leave here, though, is just the producer price index will sometimes, oftentimes, result in inflated values. So you have to be, you have to really understand what is this asset that you are disposing of, right? Like if if I take the cost of my new roof today. And and I've got like super upgraded shingles that are not on the old roof, then whatever the producer price index gives me is not going to be an accurate reflection of the original value on that old roof. So you got to be really careful when you're using the producer price index because sometimes or I guess oftentimes it does result in inflated valuations of the assets that we are disposing of, which just means that you're getting a bigger write off. You're allocating more value to this and then getting a bigger write off than you really should. And the IRS will challenge that. You have to be ready to, you have to be able to substantiate that deduction and you have to be able to show why that valuation is reasonable.
0: Yeah. And if you really, if you think about it though, you know, certain, another component of that is that in a situation where you are improving the shingles, that's usually going to be considered a betterment. Um, so it's kind of why you can't use it on the betterments. kind of makes sense, right? Because you're actually bettering the property, you're improving the property. Whereas a restoration, you're more or less restoring it to its original condition, during a restoration, which is more of a replacement, whereas a betterment is like a true improvement, if you will.
1: KBKG, I just want to give them a shout out real quick. They, they actually have a partial disposition calculator. So you can go to KBKG.com slash partial dash disposition dash calculator. Uh, and they've got like content on it and stuff like that. So check that out if you're interested in exploring what a partial asset disposition could look like in practice. A couple of the downsides here. Well, one of the upsides that I guess we should talk about before we talk about the downsides. So I guess I want to kind of circle back. So hopefully we all agree by now that this makes sense in theory. If I'm adding a new component or if I'm improving something and ripping the old thing out, if I don't write the old thing off, then I'm effectively depreciating two things, right? So HVAC, I've got one HVAC unit. I rip the old one out. I put the new one in if I don't write the cost of the old one off that I ripped out, that's no longer there. Well, then I'm effectively depreciating. I'm still depreciating it, right? Even though it's no longer there. So I have to write off the cost of the old HVAC unit via a partial asset disposition in order to not be depreciating two HVAC units, even when I only have one. All right. So that's the theory behind it. Now, one major upside, aside from getting a current year tax deduction by writing the cost of the old asset off, another major upside is depreciation recapture, right? Because right. that accumulated depreciation goes with that write-off. So When you rip that property out, the accumulated depreciation associated with it goes with it. And that's why this starts to get really complicated and also really costly for taxpayers. So if you're you know, doing this on a 500K property, it's probably not worth it for you, which is probably why you haven't heard of this or your accountant hasn't brought it up or your accountant... Or you just that's don't annoying. know that this exists. That's that's probably that might be part of it too. So that's one major benefit. Now there are two not so great issues, right? There's one passive activity. Right. You want to talk about that real quick?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the passive activity, right? So when you're deducting this, remember you're basically taking the, the depreciation and you're effectively accelerating it to get this larger expense this year, right? Because you're no longer going to be depreciating it over a period of time. Um, And when you have this law, it could generate a sizable loss for you, depending on the size of the asset that you're writing off. And, you know, then we run into the issues, okay, is it a passive loss or is it a non-passive loss, right? So if you're not a real estate professional, right, and you're not materially participating, your your rentals are passive by default, okay? That means that the loss associated with this partial asset disposition would also be passive, right? You know, if you are a real estate professional, and before I go into that. And if it's passive by default, what does that mean? That means it can only offset your other passive income. So if you're investing in other rental properties, it can offset income from that or gains from the sale of other rental properties. Uh, if you don't have any other passive income from other passive activities, then what happens? Uh, it's going to get suspended and carried forward into future years where it can be used to offset the income or gains from the sale of passive activities like your rental properties. right? However, if you are a real estate professional, now the game gets really interesting because now you have... Another way to increase your losses, right, that you can use to offset your other sources of income, like W-2, like maybe your spouse's W-2, or from an active business that you may be involved in. So basically, that's kind of how it's going to work. If you're a real estate professional, it could be non-passive. Maybe if you're using the STR loophole, or you have a non-passive activity, it will be in that non-passive bucket. But if it's a rental property, you're not a rep, you're not a real estate professional, it's going to be passive.
1: Yeah. So the important thing here is just to know that the partial asset disposition, if it creates a loss, you don't get to skip the section 469 analysis. So you still have to apply section 469, the passive activity loss rules to this loss. And if your activity that this loss is being is associated with, if the activity is passive, the loss is also
0: passive, right? So Yeah.
1: Now, the other not so great thing, or limitation, I guess, is that you cannot use the partial asset disposition in the year that you place your property into service. Now, I remember you and I went back and forth. Uh, it was a couple of years ago, and we went back and forth with the cost egg company. And the reason that you can't do that is because you haven't depreciated anything. Right. So there's nothing to partially dispose of. So you have to wait until the next tax year to do a partial asset disposition. And what that means is if you buy a property like... In September, and you do this huge rehab, all right, and then you place it into service in December, or if you buy it in January and do this huge rehab and place it in a property place it into service sometime that year, the rehab, you're not going to be able to do a partial asset disposition on each one of those rehab items. Right. All right. So so if you buy a property now, you know, now's November, so I don't know how you'd go and execute this by the end of the year, but if you buy a property now, you place it into service now, this year, And then next year, replace the roof, replace the HVAC unit, whatever, like replace some of the components in the following year. And you could potentially use this strategy of deducting or identifying the value of what you're ripping out, what's no longer there, writing that off via partial asset disposition.
0: Yeah, I did a bunch of research on this. And really what I found was in the IRS LB&I issues, it's their process unit on partial asset dispositions. The way they kind of break this down is that you must first identify the asset being replaced and it's place in service date, right? So it has to be placed in service first, right? Then you have to determine its adjusted basis. So to determine something's adjusted basis means that it's already been starting to depreciate, right? Because when you first buy an asset, the cost associated with buying it, the cost of buying the building, and then sometimes some closing costs and things like that, they become your unadjusted basis in the property. And then every year as you take depreciation, you start depreciating it. And it basically the depreciation starts reducing your your unadjusted basis and it gives you your adjusted basis. So again, in order to actually have an adjusted basis, you need to start depreciating something first. So with that being said, it appears you know, pretty clearly you can't do it in the first year. Additionally, under the actual regulations for this section, 1.68I-8H3I, all of the examples, all of them involve taxpayers where they had placed a property and service in a prior year, right? And then had later on in a subsequent year had a partial asset disposition opportunity, right? None of them, none. Have it in the first year, so you know, kind of between the IRS's interpretation and what we're seeing here in the examples, makes it relatively clear that uh, this is not something you're going to be using the first year you acquire the asset. So something to keep in mind. Now, having said that, as we kind of look into where and when does this kind of make sense, or who does this make sense to start using? You know, again, you know, if you're if you have that 500k property, like Brandon mentioned before. May not be the best type of property because it's a smaller asset, and the components within that asset, like the roof or the HVAC systems, et cetera, are going to be smaller and they're going to be worth less. So the time and effort, the expenses you're going to incur trying to take the partial asset disposition may not be worth it. However, when you have larger multifamily properties or office or industrial retail, those buildings and those types of assets are usually a lot more expensive, uh, have a higher cost basis, in other words, and the components are therefore, have a higher value. So when you're writing off those components, it could be significantly, the expense you're writing off could be much more significant, which makes the entire process of going through a partial asset disposition make a lot more sense. So if you're, if you own large multifamily, or even if you own like very large or expensive single families, uh, you should probably just be having a conversation with your CPA. Hey, does this make sense? Doesn't mean you have to go and do it. It just say, Hey, does this make sense? It should be a conversation Ah, uh, with them of an exploratory conversation first, and if you find out, hey, look, you know, I'm disposing of substantial assets here. Maybe it makes sense to move forward with doing the partial asset disposition.
1: Yeah, that that's that's actually what I'm going to echo with my closing statement here. Is, you know, how do you use this? It, it's really just remembering that it doesn't make sense to be depreciating two roofs, two HVAC units, two whatever, when I only have one on my property like logically, that does not make sense. So the next question becomes, can I write off the cost of the old component of the old asset efficiently, right? Efficiently meaning at a good price to you. Uh, And sometimes yes, sometimes no. But that's the question you need to ask your accountant. Because what happens is accountants during busy season and our firm too, you get into the trenches and you're just trying to get stuff as accurately prepared as possible and get it out the door. You know, we, we, we have a multi-step review process. Uh, most large firms have a multi-step review process where a highly skilled manager that's licensed with a CPA or EA will be looking at that tax return and trying to figure out, are there these types of opportunities, but the partial asset disposition rules, even in these larger firms are often not looked at. It's just not part of their review process. So it's really important for you to understand that these rules are out there to help you improve your property, essentially. I mean, it it gives you a tax deduction for improving your property. Instead of having to wait to recover my new roof for 27 and a half years, I'm really only having to recover the net cost of the new roof for 27 and a half years. So I get a benefit for making this, this improvement to my property and... You need to just ask the question: Do these improvements qualify for partial asset dispositions? That's what you need to ask because that'll clue the accountant in to be like, okay, yeah, right. I need to be looking for that as well. That needs to be part of this review process. Uh, and I, I wish that I could say that that it is everywhere, but it's not because it's not. It's it's the tangible property regulations are a very complex set of regulations. Partial asset dispositions are a small piece of that. And in the middle of busy season in March and in April. The accountants are just trying to make sure that they've got accurate bookkeeping, that they're applying the passive activity loss rules correctly, that they've accounted for all of your income streams, and they're trying to get that return to you so that you can review it for quality control per perspective, and then we can kick it out the door to the IRS. We are going to miss those small things that could add a lot of value to you. So my point is own your part of the relationship, Yeah. take accountability for your part of the relationship and just ask the question. You don't have to know the regulations. You don't have to know the citations, but you do have to know to ask.
0: Right. That being said, that's all for today. If you have any questions about this, you want to learn more, go ahead and join our Facebook group, www.facebook.com slash group slash TaxSmartInvestors. There's always a ton of great conversations taking place on how to reduce taxes and conversations just like this. So go ahead and check that out. And we'll catch you on next week's episode of the Tax Smart REI podcast.
1: Thanks for listening to today's show.